Raptors Reasonless is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Raptors and NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time for thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have already downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Whether you're looking for Raptors tickets, Leafs tickets, Blue Jays tickets when that swings around, every major league and team, concerts, whatever you need, head to the App Store or Play Store now, download the GameTime app, and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonable's Podcast. I'm your host. Like Murphy, Eric Crane not joining me today. Eric's very mad at me for something I said about him on my other podcast. Uh, we've replaced Eric with two very special guests today. Uh, we're going to have Raptors 905 head coach John Malalela on to help us preview the Raptors 905 season. We're going to have Jovan Buha on from the Clip City podcast and the Athletic Los Angeles to talk about his initial experience with Kawhi Leonard in Toronto ahead of Kawhi Leonard's first game against the Raptors. It's going to be a fun episode. No disrespect to Eric. I miss him dearly. Uh, sad that he's on the road as he is, but I think this is going to be good. Right away, I think we're going to have a little bit more energy. John Malalela, head coach of Raptors 905, thanks so much for joining me. It's, uh, I tell my guys all the time, we got to bring the energy, energy giver, energy taker. So let's uh, let's be energy givers for this podcast. The <laughs> yeah, the crowd. Have you? I want to talk about your your first year in kind of the the head chair with the G League, but has it taken? Have you even gotten used to the pitch of the kids' school day games? It's so loud. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I warned my players beforehand. I actually warned the the, the opposing coach beforehand, <laughs> and I said, "Listen, it's going to be absolutely wild in there, and like bring your bring your earplugs if you need them, because it's a whole different. It's a whole other world. I forgot mine today. The kids just scream at a level that you just can't replicate in, the, in a Raptors game. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, and then when you guys get into Scotiabank for the the two games a year you do there. Yeah, that one's just over the top. Then it's nineteen thousand. I think today it was six or seven thousand, and that one is that's over, way Which, over the top. And that's awesome for a preseason game. Yeah. Were, have you been surprised at all about the the fan support that you guys get? Because I'm sure you were aware of it when you were with the Raptors, but you guys fill up this place pretty well. You know what? I think I think I think basketball really, and everyone says it, but it it lives out in different sort of ways. And I think our team is a great example of it. That sort of you know people are, are paying attention to it more. They're coming out to our games. Last season we had you know near sellouts quite a few times, um, and even just walking the street sometimes people say hey 905 and you're like you know who the 905 is uh which is nice for me that there's actually a recognition of our team and and uh and what we're doing here that's awesome and this year you'll have three local products as well which you know that i'm sure that always helps in the past you guys have had a lot of canadian content but maybe not someone quite the profile of a of a tyler ennis or an o'shea set on a two-way dwayne notice also the only returner on the team so so people have a familiar local face to recognize um as someone who's as a Canadian head coach yourself, how much does that mean to you when you see more and more, not just on your team, but around the league and around the G League, more and more Canadian content? Yeah, it's it's uh, there's definitely some pride to it and some excitement I think around it because uh, for me it's it's um, it's it's why we do the game it's why we play and, and for me as a Canadian coach to see like Canadians be on my roster or be uh, have to scout against them or on NBA rosters it just didn't happen to me the best way to think about it is you know five or six years ago when I was running our, our draft workouts uh, for the Raptors we maybe would have one Canadian maybe two and it might have been a favor to a friend to sort of get them there and now every single workout we do has one or two 
or three Canadians in it. So we're looking at 15 or 20 over the course of a summer, uh, all with legitimate prospects to make our team or to be even above us that we can't even get on our roster because they're probably going to be a, a top 10 pick. And then your staff is almost entirely Canadian as well. Yeah, that's that's important for me, uh, and I think the way that we've sort of formed that staff and and, and grown it, uh, you know, locally and, and having people that are from here, I often tell people that that we talk about the, the the rise of Canadian basketball, and our players obviously get spoken about first, and deservedly so. We have an amazing group of players in this country right now, uh, and, and the Raptors obviously professionally as a team, but our coachings our coaches don't get discussed enough and I think we have really great coaches and I look at our, our youth sport program and you know co- what coach smart does at Carleton I mean this guy's really good you know Roy Rana really good he's now been reflected in, in, in an NBA job he's here this week yeah right like it's there's 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 tremendous talent and I think you look at Charles Kissy on my staff who coached at Brock University these guys are good and I think you know most American coaches don't know of them and there's not much sort of profile for them uh, but for me if I'm in this seat I might as well promote some uh, some local talent that's really that's really good yeah it's funny that not funny but the interest Interesting that obviously you're running the 905. You have you have a very deep Canadian staff, and then Nick is coaching Team Canada as well with some of your guys on his staff and some of his guys on his staff. Um, you had you you didn't go over there with Canada basketball, but you had quite a busy summer yourself. Um, what was what was that like? Obviously coming off the the championship, which you were part of once Raptors 905 wrapped up, um, and then where well, you were in Vegas, you went to Africa, you did Uruguay. You did you did you get a break? Are you are you ready to go for the season? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's so unbelievable. I think uh, you know first and foremost, it gives me a lot of of understanding for like LeBron James and Steph Curry for those guys going to the finals so many years in a row and what it does to you. It I mean it's it's a long haul for the writers who covered five in a row for Golden State. I don't I got to learn better habits if you guys are going to be going to championship after championship. So. It's it's it, it's crazy, right? Because your summer really gets shortened. And I think what's really cool with what for me anyway was was I did some really great stuff this summer. The Giants have. Africa program that Masai runs like it's so incredible and this summer specifically we went to these new countries so we went to Tanzania and ran a program there um, but then we went to South Sudan to Juba and I mean that's like that it, I mean it's unbelievable this amazing basketball quality amazing city amazing people uh, and then finished in Somalia which is somewhere that that uh, you know for those that don't know is is, is uh, an incredible city uh, and we we're in Mogadishu uh, but one that is also really sort of dealing with this balance of, of sort of war uh, poverty um, and figuring out what it, where what is next steps are so to be able to be there and run a basketball program and 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 lighten the the lives of 50 young women was incredible did it feel a little coming full circle for you because you did get your start you know in the nba care side and with your background and everything did it did you have a moment of wow like now i'm in this position and i'm back doing the same kind of thing but in such a bigger in such a bigger way yeah i think every summer is that for me and i think that's why it's important that i do these things because because we could easily say hey i'm you know i've coached all year and it's time to take a break or you know you know relax or whatever it is but but i think that give back and that that running those types of programs for kids is is for me where it started and you know and for me my past has always been people that's that's been my leading charge that, that's that's literally what motivates me and uh and so these summer experiences traveling around in different parts of the world uh working with kids you know especially in africa where i'm from is like super um rewarding i remember me and masai were, were flying back um from i think it was i think we were in five cities in two days or something like that five countries must have been in two days on this crazy flight flying back to toronto and he sort of said to me he said oh, if i can uh if i can deal with this uh i have no problem uh, uh, dealing with an NBA season, right? <laughs> and to me, it was this fun moment of sort of like, this is what it's all about. This is the hardships of life. And these people are dealing with real issues and we're kind of having fun in, in our NBA world. Were you over there the summer prior as well? When <clears throat> So were you in Kenya when the Kawhi trade went down? Yes. Okay. Yes. Were you in the loop at that point? No, so Masai, he's pretty secretive. He's so he- made it sound before though that Obama knew. 
he that may Obama have. was in the in the inner circle. He might have been. He didn't leak. He might have been. He might have been. Was, not on Woj's Rolodex. I was uh, I was with him and we were in a hotel and uh, and uh, I remember we we finished our programming and Obama was there. This incredible program, right? This brand new court for Obama's sister, and uh, we had left and I was in maybe Dar es Salaam or somewhere flying home and it came across the, the Twitter sphere and I sort of looked around and said, oh my, when did you do this? Because so, obviously it was, you know, I just missed it uh, being with him 24 hours earlier. So, <laughs> but pretty cool. What an amazing, amazing time for us. And, uh, but listen, that like the summertime is when things happen mm-hmm. and I think to your earlier question, that ability to do Giants of Africa and then to, then to come back and coach my own sort of G League All-Star team, I think it's helped me to pre- prepare for the season. So yeah, it was busy and it was a lot of time and a lot of work, but it's the preparation and it's like getting people to play and I had Michael Mulder, a Canadian player, yeah, in the G League. Awesome. Dwayne Notice on my team. So even there, you know, G League All-Star, and there's two Canadians right there. So it just speaks volumes about the talent uh, of Canadians right now. And then Paul, who you guys ended up uh, acquiring. Paul exactly. Watson as well, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, so you're about to embark on your second season. Last year was your first season as a head coach at, at any level, really. Was the day-to-day different than you maybe anticipated, especially with the change from the NBA to the G League? Like, did it? Were you surprised by anything? Not really surprised. I wouldn't say. Uh, I, I think. I think doing it is something that's that's incredible, and 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 you have to. The only way to, to, to learn is to do it. Uh, and I think in doing it, you I had to learn a lot of new systems. And I think the NBA is is sort of we have many luxuries in terms of how we travel <laughs> and, and and you know. Uh, traips around the, the at least the, the continent, um, so it's different in the G League. So I had to get used to that and understand that that was different. Uh, but to me, it was more valuable. It was it was real travel. You could sort of interact with people, and you kind of you're out of the NBA bubble, which for me was actually really nice being in it for so long. Do you start to see, or did you start to see? You know, Nick has been clear that he likes his assistants to have head coaching experience. He thinks everyone should get head coaching experience, and obviously, he valued his G League experience very highly. Do you start to see, you know, oh yeah, that would make me a better assistant down the line if, I, if I'm back on an NBA bench or something like that? No, I mean, I think I grew leaps and bounds in mm-hmm. one year doing it, and in year two, I think will be the same thing. That you can be a specialist just for the coaches' challenge. Exactly. There you go. For sure. <laughs> no, you learn. You learn. You, you see the game differently as a head coach, mm-hmm. and I think that's Nick's point: is that is that once you've been a head coach, it allows you to see the game differently, which then allows you to uh, you know, help your head coach in whatever they need to do. So I, I fully feel that like the coach I was two seasons ago is nowhere near what I am now just from experience and just from doing it and having to make those decisions and having to think about it and understand what the head coach is going through. Because head coaching is not just X's and O's. There's so many, a multitude of things that you're dealing with from scheduling to people to personalities to, uh, I mean, you name it, media, uh, you're doing a ton. That's, and I that's think, the easiest part. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, so figuring three that times out. times a day on a game day. Answer the same question three different times and find a different way to answer it. So that's what the NBA is I about. don't envy that part of it. There's sometimes I'm at shoot around and then again pre- game like it's all the same questions yeah exactly. let's just let's just run the youtube back yeah and, um but yeah that's that's cool so i guess being in the g league you know you're you're measured a little differently obviously you guys went to the playoffs the raptors 905 organization through four seasons has been built uh with winning in mind as well as developing for the raptors but having been down here for a year has your definition of what success is in this role changed at all as you've been in it and lived it for a year I think I figured it out in the first year or tried okay. to figure it out I should say and and to me it's a balance and, and it all it does start from the top and it starts from a size leadership through to Nick and, you know and, and then down to, to our group uh, and it's about how do we 
create an environment where players can get better. And to me, that the, the creating the environment is a winning environment. So like it matters if we win or lose games because we need to create an environment where it matters because for the Raptors, it matters every single time you play mm-hmm. and every game you're trying to win. So we, we basically build that exact same environment here in this in this situation um, and then put the players in the situation to see what they can do with it. You know, I think you look at you look at Malcolm, you look at Chris, uh, you know, they got better last year and they, we put them in tough situations where they had to figure out how to win basketball games and that is what's hopefully going to propel them forward. And I think earlier, the earlier examples when you go to Pascal and to Fred uh, and to Norm is the exact same thing. Uh, you know, they, they had to ch- kind of compete for a championship in the G League and they learned how to do it mm-hmm. so they could figure it out when they had to win the big one. It's funny. I, normal, it, the G League will get brought up sometimes that Norm's always, now he's always like, I only played eight games down there. It's like obviously Pascal and Fred won the title, but Norm's a little like, I only played eight games. But um, it's fun to talk to those guys and like, Obviously, Norm and Fred have grown into such leaders for the younger guys on the team now because the back half of the roster is so inexperienced. And they've kind of created this culture that feels to me an extension of the culture that was being built when they were in the 905, that everyone works here. You know, the team is obviously built with a lot of guys who weren't lottery picks and weren't the, you know, the high profile guys. And I feel like, you know, that's something Fred and Norm and those guys started establishing down here a couple years ago. So I, I do, you know, I think you see that connectivity between the two organizations um i know when you're planning a season it's probably fairly easy to sit down with nick for a little bit and be like okay this is what you guys are running this is what you want to try or want us to try once the season starts what is that communication level like how, how often are you talking to nick or someone else from the raptors staff and going back and forth yeah i mean both it's it's, it's obviously an nba season is incredibly busy you know as is a g league one so the, the communication level definitely is not as it is during the summer, when you're sort of in planning phase, uh, during the year, much more becomes about the players, and so you're talking about how did Duan do, and so we'll talk about you know how his performance was and what he's working on there and what what's happening here. And we have a really good sort of you know grouping of you know two or three of my coaches along with two or three of Nick's coaches that are getting together very regularly uh, awesome. in sort of development meetings and talking about these players that are going back and forth. So that becomes sort of a major communication avenue in terms. So of there's a, almost like a like a sub council yeah, for exactly. the player development exactly. between the two teams. That's yeah, great. That's exactly. a great idea. Yeah. So they kind of they'll, they'll meet and they'll have conversations and they'll track stuff and send it b- back and forth uh, we do a lot with film and we'll send film and we'll send we, we track everything right mm-hmm. and we track the same things that the Raptors tracks so we'll send their tracking results in our practice or, or in a Raptor practice so we know how they're progressing um, and then for Nick and myself I think it becomes about are there unique ways that we can uh, try something new so he has a drill uh, and I watched it at training camp and in my mind I'm like oh we can maybe tweak this a little bit and add another level to it so I'll do it in my training camp kind of get it perfect film it send it to Nick he can look at it and if he wants to do it he does it if not no um, you know different things about our defensive pillars and and there's a, one little wrinkle that we threw in that, that in our coaches meetings came up and and we tried it and we liked it and showed dividends and told Nick yeah, we should be doing that too and was it the box on one you could take credit no for it now. oh no that was all him no 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 <laughs> um, you know so just little things and I think it's just that fun back and forth of 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 trying things and i think with our roster you know with uh with the ability to maybe play a non-traditional you know without a traditional five a lot this year mm-hmm. uh, especially the days duan won't be with us uh having fun with that and talking to nick about hey you know here's some things we could do um with this type a lot of, roster. of dual point guard stuff too probably, and that too which, which works for him too of, yeah yeah there's lots of uh, similarities between our our rosters which allows us to experiment even further has there been any kind of top-down experimentation where nick or someone on the that Raptor staff is like, okay, we want to try this, 
but we want you we want to see how it looks with you guys first so can you try this like even if it maybe doesn't fit your personnel or whatever yeah again not tons and like it's not where they're sort of like you know you have to do this it just comes up in conversation not, not that weird king's rumor of you guys play five on four and see how it looks yeah not quite that extreme <laughs> and and i think nick is so fun because he has such a great basketball mind he's just open to things and we'll just be talking in conversation oh what about this oh yeah that's a great idea let's try it and we'll try it out for a week and come back to him and say yeah that didn't work or this one did work and then he can sort of say well might this work for my group so it's not sort of like a, a formalized mandate that comes down from on top uh it's more sort of a, a a collaborative discussion to see what could work and what couldn't work that's great um so heading into this year you guys uh you look pretty good on paper i know things change quickly in the g league there are call-ups there are injuries there are european deals uh, all of that stuff so you can't really go into the season assuming the roster you have is what you're going to have the whole time having said that do you feel pretty confident with where you guys are at roster-wise heading into the season opener on Friday? Yeah, I mean, the, the, this league, and that's maybe one of my biggest learnings from last year as a first-year head coach, is it's incredibly dynamic. Especially with the FIBA windows that you guys dealt with It last changes. Year. It just changes every moment. I mean, you literally coach the team you have on each given day. And it's a, if it's a game day, and, and that might change even two hours before the game, right? <laughs> so like you literally, when the, when the ball goes up, the player's on your bench, that's who you coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than that, it's hard to figure anything out or plan, plan you know, further than that. Um, but I think, I think it's, 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 it's a fun experiment to go through. It's fun to have a season where you know that, that your roster's going to change. And I think for, for Friday and opening night, yeah, I like the talent we have there. I think we got really good depth at our point guard spot. Uh, when Dewan's with us, we got a really solid, balanced lineup in terms of having a, you know, a great five. Especially once. Sagaba's healthy. Yeah, oh, then we have well. even then we had some depth. You know, like there there's a chance for the team to be good. Uh, but there's also, as we showed in our preseason <laughs> game today, a chance for us to be really bad, which we did today. Yeah, so. How often are you gonna shoot twenty five percent for a whole game and hopefully not very often. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> maybe maybe the eleven AM games. Maybe. True. Yep. Um to talk a little bit about some individual players, I know that Raptors fans will probably be excited about the two two-ways, Shomari Pons and O'Shea Brissett. Uh, an interesting tweak because the Raptors have used their two-way spots on kind of more veteran prospects. Um, that's kind of an oxymoronic term, but you know, guys who are 24, 25, maybe close to the NBA. You guys have two undrafted rookies who are 21 this year. Um, Dewan Hernandez will obviously you know, barring injury or him blowing the doors up down here, spend some time with you guys. Uh, the one name that'll be familiar to Raptors fans that they might, you know, some some people might not even know he's here yet is, is Tyler Ennis, who is coming off of a year lost to a broken leg that he suffered with Fenerbahce in Turkey. Uh, you guys must be a, a guy. I, I understanding that he might not be a hundred percent right away, right out of the gate. Um, you guys have to be excited to have a guy of that quality and of that kind of floor generalship down here, right? No, we're thrilled. I mean, he he is a, he's a magical piece for us. And and when my when my general manager Chad Sanders said, "I think we got him," it was a great day for me as a head coach to know that we're going to have Tyler with us. And how long we have him is what you know we'll see. <laughs> uh, it may not be for the whole season, but but uh, but listen, he he's a real talent. And I think I think for us as Canadian fans and as Raptor fans, uh, you know, he's someone the Raptors have been been interested in since since the draft. Yeah, he mentioned he was almost a Raptor a couple times. Super close. You know, multiple, multiple times, and I think that's the same thing in terms of our conversations this summer with him. And as he got further and further along his recovery path, uh, and he got to a place where he said, "Yeah, I think I'm ready now." It just fit in our window that, that he could come to us, and is right right before training camp. And he's still growing; he's got a few gears to sort of figure out in terms of getting into third, fourth, and fifth gear. But but uh, but he he's feeling comfortable, and he's playing basketball, and he's on home comfortable soil. And he, I think for him, his support team is here, and that makes a big difference. The people that helped him 
uh, through the injury and, and helped with his medical recovery uh, and his emotional recovery, right? Because I think an injury is a big deal. Uh, and I think he's he's in a really good place now and, and excited to play again on home soil. And, man, I can't wait for opening night to see what he can do. From a more performance standpoint for the team, uh, Jordan Lloyd was here last year, not a natural point guard, did pretty well when you guys asked him to be kind of a full-time point guard, but more score-oriented initially. Um, Lorenzo Brown the year before that, I know you were still with the Raptors mm-hmm. then, but um, you're familiar with Lorenzo, same kind of thing. He was an MVP, but he was a score-first MVP. How how different a dynamic does kind of a pass-first, see-the-game-and-put-teammates-in-a-position-to-succeed kind of point guard help at this level, especially with such a young roster? Yeah, I think that's the point. I, I think because we have such youth around Tyler, it makes him even more important, mm-hmm. right? So he'll be able to sort of get people in the right places and then facilitate and make them better. Um, and I think, you know, the G League is an interesting league because sometimes you just got to put more points up in sort of a rapid-fire succession and you just give it to your best player and kind of get out of the way. But but if we're going to play this thing the right way and, and, and Tyler allows us to do that, I think it provides more players on our team a chance to make that step to the NBA. And I think the G League needs to be more of a league where they're going to play the same role that they play in the G League as they would in the NBA. So not suddenly your usage goes through the roof and you're shooting at 20 times a game. But what do you do in five shot attempts and and you know and and, and, a, and a smaller usage amount? That's hard sometimes as someone who covers the G League and tries to you know translate these performances to fans who maybe aren't watching. You know Chris Boucher is putting up 25 and 12 every game, and it's you know people don't understand why. Well, why can't he just jump to the NBA rotation? Or Malcolm Miller's putting up 10 or 11 points, but he's a guy that I could see in the rotation at the next level it's interesting to try to translate those things um a guy who that might apply to this year i think is o'shea Brissett. um he has a game that i think you know with his size his ability to defend a couple positions deflect balls things like that um and, and offensively being kind of a play finisher at this point he's a guy who his nba role might not be super different than what he's going to play for you guys obviously a little higher usage down mm-hmm. down with the 905 uh what are you looking for from him are you, you excited to have him in here i know you've known him for a little while too yeah right? no again yeah fun to sort of have a, a familiar face you know on the team and and uh, listen i think he had a really good summer mm-hmm. i think he, he sort of played for the national team and played with nick uh and and nick loves him uh in terms of the way he played for for, for you know for our country um and he's growing and he's developing and i think you know his moments like today he was not very good um but but he has a chance to be good and i think you know he he, he needs to figure out how to play to your earlier point uh, an NBA brand of basketball, and that's what's going to transfer. And I think he has a chance to, you know, to, to play a significant role with the Raptors this year in his two-way idea. So when he's with when he's with the Raptors, he may get in some games and play log some real minutes uh, because his game transfers. You know, and he, he's got great size, great length, great athleticism, um, working on his defense, you know, developing shooter, all these things that are sort of like really, really close to being an NBA basketball player in a rotation in the years to come. Uh, the other two-way player is someone Raptors fans probably aren't nearly as familiar with. Uh, didn't spend the summer in the program with you guys. Um, wasn't even in camp with the Raptors. Shamori Pons, who the Raptors signed uh, after the Houston Rockets, cut him in camp. Uh, Shamori's an interesting guy. You know, I with the Raptors going on a finals run, you don't, and, and the Raptors only having the number 59 pick, I maybe did not get to do as much draft prep as I did, say, the Pascal Jakob year. Yes. Um, but in catching up, he seems like an interesting guy, a guy who can you know score the ball pretty quickly, has some point guard, some natural point guard skills. And then the thing that's most interesting to me is he has an incredible steal rate. And, and you know, can, can that translate? Is he a good defender at the next level? What have you seen from him? And I, I know you've only had him a short time now, but what, what do you see from Shamori and what, what are you hoping to do with Shamori over the next couple months? Yeah, I think he's got to learn how to, how to be a pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he, uh, 
you know, you can see anytime he just dribbles a the ball, there's a skill to him. There's a there's a finesse and a, and a sort of a comfort. Almost like a basket. swagger to how yeah. he how he handles the ball, right? Yeah, a real sort of a smoothness sort of to, to a style of play. But I think I think the the challenge now is the player's going to be better. Mm-hmm. So he's got to he's got to do things a little bit quicker, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger um, for it to be, for it to apply. You know, at our level and then up to the NBA level. And I think him having a summer in, in another organization has been good for him. And I think Houston, obviously, you know, you know they play the, they play the game in terms of how we how we want to play very similar. Hammer the, the shot spectrum side, home and right. So he he knows a lot of that sort of stuff already. Um, and I think our scouts and our group has been really high on him from from the opening jump and watching him last season and then through the draft. And I think we're excited that we have him with us. And I think it's it's a it's a, he's he's a longer play. He sort of let's see how he develops and can he become an NBA player um, because that skill set is 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 really special. And I think you see moments of it and flashes and in, in, in training camp this past week. There's moments like whoa, that was that was impressive. You know, and there's also moments where he's got to do that faster or stronger <laughs> or harder. So it's 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 growth for these guys. And I think for me as a as a second year head coach now having some young players to really try and mold and and improve them uh it's exciting and and a great opportunity to try and propel their careers forward now it's kind of fun to look at i know you run a lot of the draft work you you run pretty much every draft worker right so you guys only had the number 59 pick and as it turns out you have four of the guys that you were that the team was considering at that pick now i don't know that you'll get terrence davis down here much with He's looked pretty solid so far, and now with Patrick McCaw's injury, you might not get him down for a little bit, but you've got, you know, DeWan Hernandez, Likely, O'Shea, and Shamori, all guys that you... Did you work out all of them during the draft process? Uh, Shamori, we did not do it. O'Shea, we did, and um, and DeWan, we did. Yeah, Yeah. DeWan, you did. Okay, so um, is that... Because you're a part of the process kind of from right when they first get in the door and you guys are getting a look at them to up to this point and then to if and when they make the NBA... um, what's what's that like like do you i don't know how to but even even with a guy like pascal or fred or or norm a guy that you worked out and you were part of the player development in the summer what is that feeling like as these guys grow and, and then you see them if they get to take a leap take that leap it's fun i think around the league like you sort of because you're sometimes the first point of contact for a player with an organization, you know, running their draft workout, you sort of, you build a little rapport and sort of like that they associate you with the team. Um, so a lot of guys that aren't, didn't end up on the Raptors, but did draft workouts with us, I'll see them around and see them at, you know, games here or there. And they'll kind of remember me and I'll remember, Hey, how you doing? And they're kind of, there's an excitement. I'm and, shocked that you built a good rapport with people, <laughs> Just, you know, an energy around it. And then, and then the fun one is our own players, right? The ones you actually draft. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Then like Pascal, I joke with them all the time. I'm like, listen, it wasn't for that draft work you had with me. You wouldn't get the one. Th- 30, so you'd be, break me off some, you know, like we kind of have some fun with him. Yeah, and that was um, the one in Buffalo, too. Yeah, right? that, was, that was and the, the, the Jakob one, too. Quote unquote secret one, and Skull yeah. was there, I think. Yes. Was, I remember I lived right around the corner from the what's now the OVO Athletic Center mm-hmm. that summer, and I went to every pre draft workout. I was looking at these guys, and then you guys draft two guys that. We're at the Morning one workout I didn't get to didn't get to go yeah, to. Yeah, it was like uh, so. But so me and Pascal, you know, remember that. And I think for Dewan too, like you know, he had a really good workout with us this mm-hmm. summer, and he stood out. And we're sort of like, wow, this guy's really good. And I think you know, I, I think there's something to that. I think there's something to the, the player's confidence. And I think mm-hmm. to be a great basketball player, you got to play with confidence. And I think these guys, when they come into our environment, they feel a confidence around how they play, and uh, and it hopefully transfers through into summer league, and then to you know preseason, and then to training camp, and then to to games. Is it? 
is it tough sometimes for young players to find the balance between confidence and arrogance? I know you had mentioned um, earlier today that Dewan is a guy who's come in with kind of the right attitude and the right approach, but that's not universal across young players who get assigned to the G League or in the G League. Is that a tough balance to strike, or is that something where the Raptors culture and the Raptors 905 culture, you know, it's kind of fit in or don't? Yeah, I mean, proximity helps. So, so knowing that you know a player who maybe has to get on a four-hour flight and, and fly to their G League team, uh, and they kind of are in their own world now, and they're sort of like they feel like they should be special or more special or something because they had to fly there and there's no one else there you know here there's the same coach that was in the Raptors practice will be at our practice and we're we're talking back and forth and there's just like there's such there's so much back and forth so they don't they don't feel as unique or different uh which I think helps our our situation uh but I think it is the player's attitude too and I think you can come into the situation being like oh I'm the man and I'm going to come into the G League and I'm going to score 40 a night and this is a good league and you're probably not going to score 40 a night and sometimes it takes a few games to figure that out uh and you got to play hard and well and and there's some hungry hungry athletes here who are all trying to get where you are and you actually become the hunted when you come to the G League. So they're coming after you. In terms of building culture in general, um, I know you said pregame that it's a hard thing to put your finger on, right? It's not tangible. You don't really – it's one of those things you don't know it until – you see it, or you almost don't even know it until you see the absence of it. Uh, but you've been a part of the Raptors organization for a long time now, through this entire regime as the culture has kind of shifted, you know, being rebuilt under Messiah and under Dwayne and with Kyle and DeMar up to what it is now. Um, how much, I mean, first of all, obviously them winning a championship, you have a huge hand in that and having helped develop players and build the culture. Um, but how much do you think your own personality has helped contribute to that? Being the first point of contact for guys, being the 905 head coach, being someone who, you know, everyone speaks the world of your positivity and your energy. How much does that mean to you to, have, to be a part of that fabric? Yeah, it's special. I mean, I mean, like, you know, I, 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 I I think you can make choices in your life, and I think I try to choose every morning when I wake up to try and be as positive as I can, and I just think it's a better way to live, and I hope that that transfers to the people I interact with, uh, and I think life is really short, and it and there, there's a lot of craziness that goes on, and we are incredibly blessed to do what we do, and I tell my players that all the time, and these NBA guys, like, we are so blessed with what we have, and, you know, the problems that we're dealing with or the issues that we may be affecting our lives are, are so minimal and, and, and probably not that important compared to what, what else is, is happening in the world, so if I'm part of, of sort of right-sizing people's opinions and, and right-sizing their their perception on on the world uh, then that's great and that's cool and, and I'm really you know thankful to be able to play that role and you know but I, I think I think our players do a lot of it and I talked to my team this morning about you know you guys are the culture of this team and and how you choose to play and it's the same on the Raptors team like the players are, are, are the culture carriers of a team and an organization and we as coaches and, and administrators and front office people can can help up set an environment for it uh, but if the players don't buy into it, it nothing and there's nothing you can do to create it uh, you can just create the environment for it and then they gotta they gotta be the ones that really carry it forward that's great. Uh, I took more time, more of your time than I anticipated and than, than I had said, which is uh, you know not surprising for me. Um, what is the before I let you go? What what's what are you most looking forward to this year? The season starts on Friday at Paramount Five Food Center. Uh, what are you what are you most looking forward to? Yeah, getting back to it. I th- I think coaching's fun, and I think I think uh, for me it's, it's the Canadian content on this team, and I think watching Tyler play for me in in a, in a regular season game is going to be really great. I can't wait. And just seeing him get after it and, and go and, and get up and down the floor, like there's just there's regardless of how well he plays, I just want to see him run up and down the floor, and that's really cool. And I, you know, I think he's gonna, I hope he's going to play pretty well. Um, <laughs> the the drawback know. then being that you won't have him too long. Oh, I don't correct, think, so. correct. But that's fine. If that if that <laughs> he plays so well that he's gone in a few weeks or months or whatever, great. You know, you know, happy for it. Um, 
I think overall, I think I, I'm excited to get back to basketball. And I think, I think for, you know, for, for the Raptors and for Nick and, and, and this championship run, it was a championship run and we really celebrated it and we really enjoyed it. Uh, but it's a new season now and they've obviously moved on and they're, they're, they're going for a new, a new title and, and it's a new season for them. And it's the same thing for us. And I think new beginnings are really great. And I think in new beginnings, you can find great opportunity. Uh, and I'm excited for the, whatever those opportunities are uh, for organization. Uh, and I think that, that we're going to come with energy and we're going to come with enthusiasm and we're going to attack each game like the best that we can and see what happens. Fourth straight playoff run in our own. Let's, let's do it. Let's let's do it. All right, guys. Uh, Raptors Not Five season tips off Friday at 7 p.m. at Paramount Fine Food Center. Um, it's a great game day experience. Uh, very kid-friendly, very affordable. Jamma, thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man, Blake. I really appreciate it. Thank you for what you do, man. I really, uh, you know, this this means a lot because you are someone who's cared about the 905 for a really long time. And I think you've built really cool relationships with players that is unique. And I think you do your craft really well. So good luck to you, man. Keep on rolling. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Raptors Reasonables Podcast. Joining us now, the first time, at least in a long time, we've brought on uh, a writer from another team here at The Athletic. Joining me from... Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers beat at the Athletic Los Angeles. He's the host of the Clip City podcast. He's the man. He's the closest thing to a Toronto man in L.A. right now. <laughs> Jovan Buha. Jovan, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm, I'm currently undergoing load management, uh, but I will podcast tonight for you. So Excellent. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, I say that, that, that was a bad Jovan, joke, but it, it, it's, it's been on top of mind for this entire season. Dude, welcome to my welcome to my last year. If I never hear that term again, it'd be great. It, it got to the point where like I was so delirious with it because he sat 22 games for the Raptors last year. Yeah. That at one point I forget the specifics, but I had tweeted about Kawhi sitting out a game and also something about Jordan Lloyd in the same tweet, but I spelt Lloyd L O D Y. So for the rest of the year, I just referred to Kawhi games off as Lodies. and it's it sounds awful and <laughs> my brain is broken from it, but uh. Yeah, that's that's where we got. So you got you got a long time ahead of you, and you're gonna. This isn't the worst that it's gonna be. It's gonna be picking at your brain. I promise. Uh, yeah, I think it's gonna get worse. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, they got 13 sets of back to back, so it might be 13 games. Uh, I don't think it's gonna get quite to 22, but uh, you can't rule that out yet. Um, but it's been it's been interesting, especially in the West, because you know the the margin for error I think is. A little bit slimmer than, than the East, uh, so like these, they're probably going to lose to Milwaukee tomorrow and and or today whenever this is getting posted, and uh, I think it's it's gonna affect their seating ultimately. Yeah, that's the one thing the Raptors didn't have to worry about. We're talking, of course, about Kawhi Leonard who left the <laughs> Toronto Raptors for the Los Angeles Clippers this summer. The reason we're talking about it is because the Raptors get their first crack at Kawhi uh, on Sunday. Wait, Sunday, Monday. Monday. On Monday. I should be better prepared for this podcast, but I mixed the two LA games up. The Raptors are in Los Angeles to play the Lakers on Sunday, and then in a very fun back-to-back where they don't have to travel. They don't even have to change locker rooms. Uh, they play the Clippers on Monday. So this is going to be a lot of fun. The Raptors' first crack at Kawhi. It is not a potential load management. Well, yeah, not a potential load management game for Kawhi Leonard. Um, the Clippers will have had several days off leading into that game and have a day off the following day. I thought when Kawhi first left, I was trying to think what would be a better troll of the Raptors. Would it be him playing in 82 games or load managing both games against the Raptors? Uh, it doesn't look like either of those things is going to happen. Jovan, um, we we obviously here in Toronto dealt with the fan reaction and the media reaction to load management. I know people roll their eyes at that term and 
what it actually means is more than just sitting nights out. But what is what's it been like for you so far? You know, these first two instances of Kawhi sitting on on back to backs, and what's the reaction been so far? Because I think a lot of people thought that that was mostly a one year thing in Toronto last year. Yeah, and that's so. I mean, I mean, this all started over the summer at his introductory press conference where Kawhi kind of shot down the notion of load management because that was literally i think the first or, or you know first couple questions thrown at him were load management related and he downplayed it and said you know coming into last season i wasn't healthy i was coming off a season i played nine games so that was like the sensible approach but you know this season i'm, I'm healthy entering the year and you know we're gonna take a different approach but then he kind of he kind of left some room for, you know, a little bit of wiggle room at the end of the statement where he was basically like, you know, but we're going to take it day by day, like game by game and, and just kind of see how I'm So that, you know, I, I remember writing about that and kind of being like, this does seem positive that he's not going to rest as much, but he did leave that little bit of wiggle room with his statement. Media day, he basically said the same thing. Like, you know, I'm healthy. I'm feeling better. My goal is to play in every game. But at the same time, like I got to take it day by day, see how my body's feeling. So around that time was when I started to be like, all right, I think he's going to rest. He rested for half of training camp, uh, you know, was not doing contact. What uh, was kind of, you know, rested in uh, three of the five preseason games. And that was when it was like, all right, he's probably going to rest. Um, you know, from, from conversations I had had, it sounded like eight to 12 games, uh, which still could happen. But he's now rested in, in you know, uh, one game in each of their first two back-to-backs. Uh, it, it's interestingly been the marquee matchup. Uh, you know, the first one was Utah in a Utah-San Antonio back-to-back. Now it's Milwaukee in a Milwaukee-Portland back-to-back. Both were nationally televised ESPN games, which I don't think ESPN is going to be happy about. But, um, I, you know, I, I just... It's interesting, you know, that the fans are not happy. Uh, Laker fan, you know, you got the Battle LA going right now. Laker fans are very, you know, anything with Kawhi, anything with the Clippers, the Laker fans are pouncing on that. So they're getting their shots in. Uh, other fan bases are getting their shots in. And, and then Clipper fans are kind of conflicted where they're looking at the long view of, you know, uh, what's best for the team long term, which I think clearly is a healthy Kawhi. And then, you know, but the short term is, you, you know, if you're a fan at a game, you want to see him. Uh, you, you obviously want the team to do well record wise. So I, I think it's a it's a very conflicting thing for Clippers fans, the Clipper kind of community where they know in the long run, it's probably best for them. You know, just look no further than the Raptors and the success that they had last season. I, I was uh, going to say, as someone who went through this last year covering him, uh, it's worth it, guys. It's it's certainly worth it. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I think that that's kind of the, um, you know, the the impetus for that. But it it's tough. It's I, I don't know what the right answer is. I, I mean, clearly, I think he's going to end up resting somewhere in the 10 to 15 game range. Uh, that's the way it's trending right now. Uh, but again, if you if you look at what the Raptors did and, and the success they had, um, you know, I, I think the Clippers there are some similarities between the, the two teams. Uh, you know, if, if anything, I think the Clippers might even be a little bit better positioned to withstand Kawhi resting uh, than even the Raptors were just because of, you know, Paul George is 
another you know top 10 caliber guy what once he's back which it sounds like is going to be within the next week or two um you know i think lou will like lou and trez with, with what they do with the bench unit um really just kind of ensures that the clippers win those 15 to 20 minutes a night uh when you know they're playing another bench so i do think that you know similar to the raptors the clippers have that depth um, you know, there are some questions right now with the defense. It's been pretty bad to start the year, but I do think Paul George will ultimately help that, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the one tricky thing is they're in the West. So that kind of goes in everything. Like even teams like Phoenix and, and Minnesota, who you probably were projecting as a bottom three or four team in the West, uh, you know, they're looking like potential playoff teams right now. And, and really the West, you could say, is like 14 deep outside of maybe Memphis. So, you know, the, the West on a nightly basis is going to be brutal, but I do think that with the depth of this team, with the potential for Paul George, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell to step up with with big, you know, twenty to thirty point performances on a nightly basis, like I do think they can withstand it. But it, it is right now a very polarizing topic within the Clippers. I can't believe you did that to the Memphis Grizzlies, Canada's second team. Uh, Dylan Brooks, <laughs> Brandon Clark, Bruno, JV. This is, you're, this is not a way to win fans on a Raptors podcast, man. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I thought, it's all right, man. I thought uh, I thought your piece um, on this load management issue on October 31st was I thought it was well done. I thought it was it was you know the level of nuance that a situation like this needs and the quote you know from Doc Rivers that we're learning as we go. I think that's the only way you can really do that because a lot of this stuff you know even on the science side you know it's trial and error and it's player by player um, and you know you're always going to skew cautiously when you're a team with, with eyes on the on the championship and a guy like Leonard with a bit of an injury history um, I wanted to ask you about Leonard when he has played he has uh you know the it was funny we talked all last year when he was with the Raptors of oh like well when he gets back to 100% or you know by mid-season it was like well his offense looks back to 100% and then in the playoffs it was like oh yeah he can defend at that level still and the guy he's been for the first six games for the Clippers is somehow even better than that he's he's carrying an even larger usage percentage I think that's up over 40% he's averaging almost 30 points a game in only 31 minutes Uh, and then I think the most impressive thing and the thing that stands out most dramatically from what he did in Toronto Toronto is his assist rate is up to 37.1%, which would be more than or almost double what it was in his previous career high year. Uh, obviously, that's really central to the Clippers attack when Lou and Trez are on the floor and especially with Paul George out. Uh, has Kawhi's playmaking surprised you relative to what he'd shown before or what you expected coming in? Definitely. And that you know assist percentage has actually dipped the last couple games. Um, he had back-to-back games uh, you know, against the Spurs. He had one assist. Uh, I think last game he he had three or four. Uh, so he, he had been cl- averaging close to eight assists through his first four games. Uh, and, you know, that, it, it surprised me. You know, I, I mean, I obviously didn't watch every Raptors game last season. Um, I, I watched most of the playoffs. Um, you know, I, we d- didn't even get to see Kawhi in person last year because he didn't play in either game against the Clippers. But I had never seen this playmaking from him. You know, I wrote about it in the first preseason game, his, his Clippers debut, uh, that, you know, the way they're using him in the pick and roll, the way they're using him as a primary ball handler, I think really shows a, a strong development in his game. Uh, like you said, you know, he, I think his career high in assists is uh, 3.4, uh, you know, his career high average. And then, like you said, assist percentage is 19%. So, you know, it's looking like right now he's going to be in that 30 to 35% you know, five to five and a half assists, 
uh, at least if, if not more. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how Paul George affects that. I have a feeling they're still going to use Kawhi more on the ball and, and just use Paul as the ultimate off ball guy and, you know, spot up shooter, guy who come up downs guy who can back cut um just kind of that ultimate off ball weapon but i'm sure he'll handle the ball too and, and he'll get his fair share of of actions and, and you know screen and rolls and um you know kind of play make but that's why you know wh- one thing i've shot back against um wh- when i've done you know preview pods or talking about the clippers is i never f- I-, I felt the the need for them to have a primary ball handler uh was kind of overblown i was like you know, Kawhi can do some of that. I, I didn't think to this level, but I was like, Kawhi can do some of that. Paul George could do some of that. Um, you know, I think from from watching the team up close the last couple of years, Pat Beverly and Lou Williams are underrated playmakers, underrated pick and roll players. Um, you know, Lou is is put up back to back career high assist seasons. Uh, Pat is someone who can run the pick and roll. Even Landry Shamit is someone we we've already seen this season uh, do some secondary ball handling and, and bring the ball up a bit. So. I, I uh, love you know, sorry, man, sorry do, to cut you off. Love loved your piece on Landry Shamit, by the way, last week. The uh you can find you. that at theathletic.com uh, slash clippers. It's how Landry Shamit's old soul and his off the charts hoop sense put him in the driver's seat in LA. Um he hasn't started the season shooting the ball quite as well as as he normally does, but I love that piece and I love Shamit as a prospect too. No, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, and you know, there are some issues with this team, and and you know, I think that the defense has not been as good as you'd want. The shooting has not been as good as you'd want, and they're, I think, they're susceptible inside uh, against certain matchups. Like I think Joel Embiid would absolutely destroy them right now, as currently con- constructed. But well, they'll um, have to trade know, for Marcus All then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. Uh, but but this team is really good, and I, I think that offensively, like with Kawhi, with with hands of like he's talked about it too, where he was like. In San Antonio, I had Tony Parker. In Toronto, I had Kyle Lowry. Like I've never been in a situation where I've had to be the primary ball handler, the primary facilitator. So you know, th- this is kind of new to me, but this is also something that's been in my game. I just haven't really been able to show it because of the circumstances I've been in in previous situations. So I do think there's an element of that. At the same time, you know, Doc has mentioned it surprised him. Other coaches have said it surprised them. Uh, even his teammates have said it surprised them compared to his playmaking in practice versus games that it's just kind of gone to a different level in games. So I, I would say overall the, the quiet experience has been really good uh, when he's played. Uh, like, I think, like you said, this is probably the best he's ever played. I think he's at an MVP level right now, uh, depending on how many games he rests. I think he could be really heavily in that MVP mix. Like if he plays maybe 68 plus games, I don't see any reason why he can't be the MVP. Uh, you know, as long as the Clippers win like 55 to 57 games. Um, so you know, from their end of that, that, that's great, but you're going to have this load management thing all season. It's going to be over the team. And, you know, one thing I want to note is, you know, they look good. I think they're going to be fine when he rests, when Paul George is playing without Paul George, uh, you know, you saw it in the Utah game. um, Like they were a mess offensively without Kawhi and defensively, they're actually okay and, and did better than I expected. But when, when Lou Williams is not on the court, you know, if they don't have Lou, Paul, and Kawhi, this team can't score. So that's something to watch for, you know, tomorrow against the Bucks, and, and just moving forward with this team is, you know, how they kind of cobble together possessions when their best players are resting. Because, I mean, look, take the two best guys off any team, they're going to struggle to score. But this team in particular, I think, is a little bit light on shot creation. And, you know, in, in these games, like like tomorrow, I feel like Lou Williams has to play, you know, 35 plus minutes for them to have any chance against Milwaukee. Otherwise, they're really going to struggle to score. So 
that's kind of one thing to, to monitor moving forward. And that's where maybe a team like the Raptors was a little bit better um, suited with, you know, with multiple guys who can cut, you know, whether it was Siakam, Lowry, um, and you know, Marcus Sol, once they got him, like they had multiple guys who can kind of create their own shot one needed. Whereas the Clippers, I do think it is a little more, um, you know, kind of heavy to Paul, Lou and Kawhi. All right. One more for you. And I don't, you know, on this Raptors podcast, I hesitate to talk about Drake too much, but you're Drake's guy. <laughs> I got to ask. So Kawhi Leonard obviously uh, won a championship with Drake. We'll, we'll say it like that because, you know, the, yes. based on the jackets, Drake sent the the guys. It appears Drake was a part of the team. Hey, um, he got a ring. He did. He got a ring. Uh, Lou Williams got a song from, uh, from Drake, uh, Six Man. Patrick Patterson, I don't know if there was ever any relationship there, but Patrick Patterson, like, he came back to Toronto to get married this summer. Like, he's still very much Toronto. Uh, do you think your Drake fandom outstrips the Drake fandom of those three guys? Uh, the, the the three players? Yeah, like, are you a bigger Drake fan than those guys who have personal relationships with Drake? Oh, for sure. Been close. Okay. Um you know, For I, people who don't know, I mean, Jovan is the biggest Drake fan outside of Toronto that I know. And that's that's not saying a lot. It's not like I am up on uh, you know youth culture and uh, hip hop communities outside of Toronto all that much. But big Drake fan. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'll say this is some breaking news here. Um, uh -oh. You know, I, I recently turned twenty seven, so I feel like I'm, I'm maturing a little bit out of it. Okay. Uh, where you know he's still my favorite artist. You know, I, I think it's gonna have to take a miracle for someone else to come in and ever change that um you know so I, I do expect to be that 55 year old bumping drake um or, or <laughs> you know what uh or whoever uh, you know whatever down the road but uh yeah i mean I, I would say like lou lou is just so cool that i you know i'm sure he likes drake and i'm sure he's flattered by the song but you know lou's his own rapper and and lou you know yeah. lou's the coolest dude like i, I don't think lou is, is a fanboy Kawhi. Uh, no, it might be know, the other way around, right? Like, yeah, Drake like, might be a bit. It seems know, like other players get like that around Lou. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I mean, Kawhi obviously is Kawhi. He, he's stoic. He, you know, I, I don't see him gushing over Drake either. Uh, and then Pat Patterson, I also kind of see in a similar light. You know, I haven't had that much experience with him, but he seems to be a, a guy who takes things pretty seriously um, and, and is, you know, a professional. So, you know, maybe some of the younger guys on the team, like, you know, we got Fee, uh, Fondue, Cabangele. Yeah. Uh, we, so we he, gotta, he we might gotta be a bigger... him, by the way, man. <laughs> this this yeah. seven minutes stuff, this is anti Canadian. Yeah, yeah it's tough. Start it's, blowing it's some teams out so he can get, so get some run. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think once Paul George is back, you'll, you'll see him getting out there a bit more. Yeah. Or he's going to Agua Caliente. Or that. <laughs> <laughs> all right man i won't keep you any longer uh thanks so much for coming on appreciate your perspective on the the early returns from uh Kawhi. guys that was yovan buha you can find him on twitter and instagram at that same name uh clippers reporter for the athletic la doing awesome work covering uh the guy i had the pleasure of covering last year along with eric kareen uh, also the host of the clip city podcast which is a great clippers podcast here on the athletic network yovan thanks so much for coming on man thanks for having me all right, guys, we will uh, – busy week. Eric's out on the West Coast. Uh, they're in New Orleans on Friday. The two L.A. teams Sunday and Monday and then Portland Wednesday. I'm not sure exactly when we'll talk to you next or if Eric will be with us, but we'll talk to you sometime next week. Uh, thanks a lot, guys.